Hello world from Octopost headquarters. This is Radically Transparent, Octopost's original podcast show on B2B marketing now. I'm Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy, and in most episodes of this podcast, we'll feature B2B marketing leaders who will share their radically transparent truths behind being a modern day marketer and what it takes to grow ideas, take risks, and impact change. Joining me on this episode is Zev Ben-Shahar, executive coach, master storyteller, and communication expert. With over 15 years public speaking experience, Zev has trained thousands of people around the world with his clients today, including the Boston Consulting Group, WeWork, and the Jewish Agency. He holds a BA from Harvard and an MA from Tel Aviv University. Zev, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Wherever you're listening. (laughs) Zev is actually somebody, so a lot of people at Octopost, a lot of our customers, they ask me, Jen, you know, you tell such great stories. Where did you learn how to do this? On today's episode, I'm really excited to have Zev because he was one of my first mentors and really taught me the roads of storytelling to be as successful as I am today. So I wanted to share a little bit of Zev with all of our listeners today. So Zev, I need to ask, what are you up to? What is it that you're doing? Um, and how did you find yourself in a coaching executive, you know, role and leader? So I am uh, uh, an executive coach um, focusing on communication and storytelling. Um, I have uh, done uh, communications and public speaking for most of my adult life. Um, I uh, taught executives how to communicate better, how to tell their uh, company's uh, message uh, in a more effective way. Uh, I've also taught uh, politicians um, how to tell their country's story better. So I've, I've been working for many years in public diplomacy, uh, teaching uh, um, politicians in Israel about uh, communicating the message of Israel, communicating um, the uh, the uh, nuances about Israeli society, Israeli uh, history, Israeli innovation uh, for uh, many years. And, you know, my passion is uh, finding uh, the, uh, the anecdotes and the interesting stories in people's lives and uh, communicating uh, those to the world because I think, you know, people don't remember statistics a lot. They remember stories and uh, stories appeal to people's emotions. Um, so... That's what I focus on, and I'm happy to share a bunch of stories just to demonstrate that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so you threw out a term, you know, effective communication. I think for a lot of our listeners or marketers or in the marketing departments, that's our job every day, and it can be challenging. How would you define an effective, you know, I guess, what is effective communication or what makes something effective versus maybe kind of just not so great or what, how can you guide us in kind of thinking or defining effective communication? Um, well, it depends in what, uh, in what uh, context you're speaking. But for example, if I'm uh, presenting um, for a company or I'm helping uh, executives work on their, uh, on their uh, pitch mm-hmm. to investors, um, obviously, you have to be super prepared. You know, I, have, I had a professor at Harvard that would, uh, he was an amazing public speaker, very charismatic, very uh, powerful, inspiring. And he would always say, you have to practice, 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 and then you can be spontaneous. Um, 
And uh, so, so I think the, one of the most important things when you come into a meeting that's uh, important is uh, be prepared, know what you're talking about. The other thing is uh, authenticity, you know, just tell the truth, um, be yourself. That's where you're most uh, powerful. That's where you're most inspiring to, to other uh, people. And then if you want people to actually listen, you know, when you're presenting a PowerPoint or when you're talking about the annual report, then um, integrate, uh, insert uh, stories that people will remember. People don't remember statistics and data. These are important, but they'll remember the stories behind them. So, I mean, I'm happy to share a story to show the power of stories. Yeah, we, I mean, we'd love yeah. to hear a story. I think, too, you know, in yeah. 2020, a lot of us have been hearing the term authentic, right? Authentic marketing, be authentic, be authentic on social. And this, this word is being thrown around in our industry so often. And, and in some ways, it's like, okay, I, I'm professional and I want to be professionally authentic. Does that even exist, right? So if you can <laughs> share maybe a story of how you've taken a, an executive or whatever you feel would be fitting yeah. here. But I think, right, how, how can we be that authentic self in a professional right. environment? So again, I think uh, the more you're prepared, the more you can be spontaneous, hence authentic. You know, if you're just, uh, if you come into a meeting or a presentation and you're, un you're not ready, then it, your authentic, spontaneous, powerful side will take a while to, to uh, uh, come up. And, and, you know, one story that I tell, which is about the power of stories, but really about many other things, is this idea of uh, um, um, self-efficacy. You know, there's been a lot of studies uh, in psychology about the power of uh, beliefs and the power of uh, self, uh, uh, the importance of self-efficacy for success. So the idea that if you believe that you can accomplish something, there's a better chance that you'll achieve it. And if you believe in yourself, you're confident, there's a better chance that you'll achieve it. And there are many studies uh, all over the world about self-efficacy. And when I taught that, you know, as a teaching fellow at Harvard at the time, I taught that, um, my students would understand the idea intellectually, but I wanted them to really get it emotionally. And so I told this story, which is not my story, but a story that uh, I've been using because I thought it was very effective. I told the story about uh, Roger Bannister. Many people today don't know who he is. I don't know. Is, but, I, I have to go. Right. I don't know who so he is. <laughs> shame on you. So he's a legend in, in athletic sports. And uh, the story is as follows. Until the year 1954, running the mile in less than four minutes was considered impossible. And the best runners uh, and the best athletes in the world showed it couldn't be done. Uh, doctors, scientists, uh, Everyone said that this was beyond human ability. The anatomy of the human body doesn't allow to, uh, one to do that. But there was one man, one man by the name of uh, Roger Bannister in Oxford, England. He was a medical student, also a good runner, not the best in the world at the time. And he said, you know, I think it's nonsense. I'm going to show everyone that it can be done. And no one really took him seriously because who is he to defy science? But he started changing his training methods and he got better and better. Uh, four minutes, 12, four minutes, uh, seven, I think, four minutes, uh, two. And then there was a standstill because, again, this was something that was beyond human ability. At least scientists thought that. Until the 6th of May, 1954, Roger Bannister runs a mile in three minutes, 59 seconds, and four-tenths of a second. It was one of the greatest moments in the history of sports, but even more so one of the greatest moments in the history of psychology. Because until that day, no one pretty much got close. Roger Bannister comes and breaks the four-minute mile 
three minutes 59. That same year, John landed in Australia, three minutes and 58 seconds. A year afterwards, 37 runners break the four minute mark. A year afterwards, over 300 runners run the mile in less than four minutes. And today they're not counting anymore. I mean, just this morning I ran the mile in two and a half minutes. I'm just kidding. Oh, right. <laughs> no, that's, 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 I'm very quick. I'm very quick. I'm no, but advocacy. <laughs> there you go, self-efficacy. Right. So it's a story both about, of course, the power of the mind. You know that if you believe in something, it doesn't mean you're going to accomplish it for sure, but it definitely in increases your chances. But it's, it's a story about the power of story, you know, because my students aren't going to remember statistics. I taught them about self-efficacy, but they'll remember um, the, the story of Roger Bannister. And that's what stories do. So, you know, whether it's a story about other people uh, or whether it's a story about yourself, that's what people remember. Um, so that's what I encourage people to do in their communications. So I, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you're certified from you know, HubSpot and, and, you, and, and social media. So how can we take stories like this, right, that are effective? You and I are having a conversation. And I think what's really interesting in our world today, right, everything has moved over to Zoom or digital communication. And, and these stories are extremely effective, but we've almost lost in the office, right? We're not in the office anymore kind of lost these moments of opportunity to build these connections, these authentic connections, um, tell these stories in person, right? So maybe you're grabbing a coffee when you get to work and you would tell the story of the runners um, as just something casually. How do we either tell these stories, mm. you know, in this kind of new digital world that are going to make people remember? Because I think what's what I see happening a lot, and, you know, someone working in social at Octopus even when I tell stories on social, there's so many stories everywhere, right? It's, it's almost as if, you, you know, you don't want to open your LinkedIn feed sometimes because you're just going to be hit with stories or content. How do you stand out with your storytelling or how do you advise um, executives in the digital world to stand out? Yeah, so again, the, the context really um, matters here. And, you know, if you're on social media and you want to, put something on uh, LinkedIn or Facebook, you're not going to tell a whole story about Roger Bannister. Right. In Twitter, I think you get like an X amount of characters. So. Right. Exactly. 140 <laughs> characters. How are you going to tell a story? Right. Right. We can, we can so, self-advocate that there's going to be more characters, but I think that, you know, Twitter kind of cuts us off. So I think. <laughs> I know. Shame. Shame on Twitter. Shame on them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think there's only so much you can do on social media with short form. You know, one, one way to gauge people's interests is to ask a question. You know, has it ever happened to you that you were driving on the highway and something happened to you? So um, one thing that you can do and that I often do is I just share from my uh, own life, my own personal experience, and then I extrapolate on what this might mean in, in the workplace. So one practice that we have at home is that we finish every day with five things that we're grateful for, you know, and it could be a great meal that uh, we cook together. It could be a, a, an awesome, awesome conversation that I had with my friend, <laughs> Jen Goodman, uh, on her radically transparent podcast, uh, but just like little things, you know, and it, it actually turns out that when people do that, when people uh, complete every day with, uh, uh, five uh, things they're grateful for. It enhances their uh, happiness over time, their uh, 
productivity, even their health, right? So I, I might on social media just share one thing that I'm really uh, grateful for and make sure that it's not generic, make sure that it's really specific. You know, like um, my, I picked up my son from his uh, kindergarten and he told me about a specific interaction with another kid that he had. Um, he told me about how he helped his uh, kindergarten teacher. And when he was telling me, he got so excited that I started to cry. You know, something like that, that's very specific because generic doesn't usually inspire people. So I think, you know, whether it's on social media or whether you're communicating um, a company story on an on a, um, investor's pitch deck, it has to be uh, very specific and it has to be uh, personal, right? So when I teach uh, executives how to relate the company's message, how to um, um, prepare a sales deck, for example, then of course they have to uh, bring in data and graphs and uh, insert it's all the about overall, the data. <laughs> right, all about the data, all about measuring data, right? Octopus, all about measurement. So that's really important, but also, you know, share, share how uh, this all started. How did Octopus start? I'm sure uh, there's a fascinating personal story there. You know, how did you get into this position? I'm sure there's a fascinating story there. And I think the more specific it is, the more powerful. For our listeners, you know, start, start thinking about those fascinating stories. And we look forward to following you back on social to read those. Um, you know, so something I do want to talk about today is back in July, uh, we actually had a post on LinkedIn go viral. And this is like, it was super exciting. I mean, I think I've waited seven years for this to happen. Uh, truth be told, radically transparent. Um, yes. And literally within the first hour, there were 10,000 engagements and over a thousand clicks. And I was amazed. Uh, amazed because it was not an Octopus piece of content, but the topic mm. was mm. about how to break up the monotony of your work week. When I saw that, that, that this went viral, this, this article that I had shared from Fast Company, thank you, Fast Company, um, I, you came to mind because you and I have had a lot of interesting discussions, and I know you have a unique background um, with a term I'll throw out that you actually taught me that has helped me get through some pretty crazy times this past year uh, and the year prior, which is about making the mundane meaningful. And this article kind of touched on that. Um, could you share a little bit with us today about this concept, um, you know, that you are sharing and also, you know, sure. a little bit more about kind of just right, breaking up the monotony of your work week. We're all working from home. We're looking at screens all day. And I think you mentioned it um, yeah. you know, earlier on survival when we, we spoke yeah. offline. Yeah. I mean, one of the hardest things that's been for me with uh, Corona is, uh, um, less relationship or relationship, but superficial, whether it's through um, Zoom or whether social media. And, you know, I'm used to speaking side by side uh, with people um, and, and that, that I really miss. And so that part of my work, the meaning is, is definitely uh, lacking. And uh, in general, I think what's, is, what's driven me in my uh, work life is to find meaning and to uh, make the mundane meaningful and to do something that has a purpose, you know. So a couple of uh, years ago, I, I shifted from the field of public diplomacy 
uh, into the field of, uh, into the private sector, into executive coaching and messaging and storytelling. Um, but it turns out that many people are looking for uh, meaning in the workplace so much that uh, 50% of employees in, in the US, uh, pre-corona, uh, the study is, um, do not find their job meaningful and over 50% are looking at any time for the next uh, job. They're, they're not satisfied and a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, no meaning. You know, 32% uh, uh, according to one study of employees are um, the one number one reason why they're staying at their job is because they find it meaningful. They have a sense of purpose. They, they're learning in their work. Um, and then another interesting study is, shows that nine out of 10 employees uh, are willing to relinquish 20% of their salary in order to work in a job that has meaning for them. So it's like fascinating people, you know, they're not just looking for the, the, the uh, next paycheck, they're not just looking for status in the workplace. They want their jobs, their careers, their, um, they want it to be uh, meaningful. Um, so there, there are many studies uh, about this, but you know, one really fascinating study I think is by Amy Rizniewski, uh, who studied, uh, um, she's from the University of Yale, she studied um, uh, hospital maintenance workers. And um, she's, she, uh, she and her team basically just followed them around the hospital. And uh, after a while, um, she identified that there are two kinds of workers. There are workers that pretty much just do what the, the job description is. They come at nine o'clock, you know, they uh, clean the floors, they uh, organize the rooms, they do what they're required to do, and then they go home. And then the other kind of uh, workers uh, actually find their work meaningful. And they don't do, I mean, they clean the hospital and they do what they're required to do. But it's much more than that. They, they uh, craft the job they have into the job that they want. And they do this uh, in three ways. They change their tasks around. So for example, you know, um, if they find out that certain patients are um, allergic to uh, different uh, cleaning materials, they'll, uh, they'll make sure that uh, they use the right um, chemicals so that uh, uh, they stay healthy. They'll find out um, which patients did not get visit on, on that day, visits from their families or friends on that day, and they'll change the way they do their rounds in order to visit them, and to hear their, them. And sometimes many of these patients will um, tell them their personal life stories and, and cry to them uh, and, and you know, vent to them um, and, and so they'll create relationships, they'll change their tasks, they'll create relationships that work with patients and with other uh, employees. And the last thing that they'll do is they'll reframe cognitively their jobs. For them, it's not just, you know, I'm not just a maintenance worker, I'm a healer, I'm an ambassador of the hospital and my job is to uh, create a sterile environment where the uh, custodians, where the patients can get better and where they, there can be well-being. And, and obviously, they're much more productive. They love their work. Obviously, there are parts that are difficult, but they find much more meaning in the workplace. Interesting. So, so for all of us listening, right? So, you know, 
working from home, those with kids, those without kids. Um, you know, my family and I joke, even my, my boss and I, we joke that when you write to one another, hey, what's up? The answer is usually nothing's new. Um, and this has been going on now for a few months. So could you give us on this podcast maybe three tips or hacks or ways to think about our workday to break up the monotony or, or find meaning in the mundane? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that I would suggest uh, is to do the gratefulness exercise at the end of the day, because that makes you more present during the day. And just to recap, um, the, the gratefulness yeah, exercise is writing down five things that you're grateful for each day. Yes, five okay. things that, that you're grateful for each day and make sure they're specific. It doesn't have to be related to work. It could be a good meal that I had with a friend. It could be, you know, the report that I handed in is much, uh, you know, I worked really hard on it and I, I was very proud of myself. It could be I'm just grateful for the job that I have uh, so that you can do that at the uh, uh, end of the day. Um, another thing that uh, um, I recommend is having a reminder um, you know, something that's either in your office or like I have this uh, wristband that reminds me to be present <clears throat> um, in what I'm doing. Uh, because it turns out, studies show that uh, when you're present, when you're in the moment um, with, at, at work or uh, in your relationships, then you're much happier uh, over time. You know, and they did this study at Harvard uh, where they asked over time 25 hundred uh, participants, uh, they asked them through the phone several times during the day, three questions. Are you happy right now? Um, what are you doing? And what are you thinking about? And it turns out that when people were doing, when the doing and the thinking were in sync, then people were much uh, happier. And unsurprisingly, when people were just gazing at their computer and just doing mundane things, uh, they were less, uh, they were less uh, happy. Uh, and interestingly, people were happiest during the day when they were making love. Now, who's answering their phone in the middle of, you know, <laughs> that's a different story. But so uh, just a reminder to, to be present and to ask yourself these three, these uh, two questions. Uh, is what I'm doing right now, um, in sync with what I'm thinking. Like I'm having a conversation with you right now. Am I really present or am I thinking about the clothes I need to iron back at home? You know, <laughs> those are the types of things. Yeah, so, no, be, one be thing present. I need to stuff. fix here. Sorry, one second. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You're present. You're okay. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you can see that um, if there are things that are in the way of uh, getting you, of, of, uh, if there are things that are in the way of um, making you present, then, then you're not as authentic, then you're distracted. So, you know, take care of yourself and do what needs to be done. Take care of your computer if it's <laughs> running out of battery. For oh, instance. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good <laughs> life lesson. How can we, as marketers, tell more of an inspiring story? And at the same time, is there a way, how do I make that story about our platform emotional or emotionally appealing or even intellectually yeah, yeah. appealing, right? There's so much noise out there. So even when I'm writing a blog or my team is writing blogs and we're pulling information together, how do we hit the nail on the head in terms of yeah. those points to really draw people in? 
Yeah, I mean, so I, I help uh, executives um, with uh, the marketing also on social and the question of what is the noise that's out there? You know, what are a lot of companies, people saying? Uh, there, there's a lot of sharing um, on LinkedIn, on, on Facebook, uh, Twitter about people's successes, company successes, which like I think wins. is really celebrate wins, which wins. I think, yeah, let's celebrate the wins. You know, we had this really great um, marketing campaign with uh, uh, company uh, X and uh, we uh, doubled our revenue this uh, quarter, all that. And I think that's really important to, to share the win and to be the wins and to be proud of what you're doing, but everyone's doing it. Exactly. So, so how do you stand out? Right. Right. So, you know, I don't see many posts that talk about the, the challenges that companies are, are dealing with, you know, like this is, when, when was the last time you saw a uh, uh, high tech company um, advertise its losses? You know, I'm not saying that's, you know, that's what you need to do all the time, but you can certainly talk about the difficulties that cor Corona has uh, presented um, you know, and you can start doing that by just sharing an, as an employee, sharing uh, a moment that you had a challenge that you were dealing with, you know, and then talk about how, uh, how, how you dealt with it, uh, in, in the workplace, you know, uh, not every story that you share, even a short story, even a, an anecdote has to end with a success. You know, I had this challenge and this is how I overcame. So it's a French, you know, I think more What's that? That's the French version. It's more tragic at the end. You want to make sure that you're tragic, right? <laughs> that you show how much you've suffered and how much everyone else is suffering. And that it's poor you just, yeah, you know, it's a, yeah, poor you know, just buy my product for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, so no, yeah, everyone, don't right. do that, but <laughs> right. No, I mean, right. you know, again, it's about that transparency, that authenticity we're all human at the end of the day behind right. each profile behind each computer we're still people there um and i think right. you know it's an interesting point to bring up you know to find a, a creative way to speak about some of the challenges um and maybe someone else out there is experiencing those same challenges that can relate you right. can brainstorm and great things can happen to give right. the glass Let's, half full <laughs> right exactly let's talk about the half empty part of the glass no but you know talking about failure you know um this idea that yeah definitely in the uh, uh high-tech uh, startup uh, uh milieu you know companies and entrepreneurs fail all the time and i know one of the uh gurus of the venture capital entrepreneurship uh, uh world in israel yossi vardi talks about the fact that he, you know, he will not invest or he won't hire an entrepreneur who has not had major failures uh, in the past because that's an inevitable part of success. Um, so share that, share a failure that you had on, on, uh, uh, on social and how you dealt with it. Um, that's, that's, I think, also super important. And, you know, that adds... Uh, authenticity to to all the noise that's uh, that's out there interesting tough. it is tough I and i think you know a lot of us listening we're on social every day creating the posts 
how do you say different things in different ways, the same things in different ways. And I think that's some interesting advice to think about the, the failures of the journey. <laughs> so with that though, our time is winding down to an end. Yeah. So I love today, right? I want to know about Zev. I go to LinkedIn. I do a little research online and I find out a ton of great information about you. Zev, can you share with us today uh, something that is not on your LinkedIn profile that we can learn about you that we can't find anywhere sure, else? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll share a, a couple of things if you don't mind. That's, sure. It won't take longer than two hours. Uh, <laughs> All, right. All right, here we go. <laughs> get some water and a lot of coffee um, no, so, I, I mean I have my my hobbies the things that I love to do um, one is I, I sang a cappella in uh, in college and and afterwards and I love singing as you can hear I have a very steep voice can you sing a little something for us on the show is that wonderful or what? Can you just listen to this for hours? Great, um, voice. Very good. Yeah, so so I love I love a cappella. I'm also a spinning instructor in my free time. So I, wow. uh, I yeah yeah. So I teach uh, or I used to teach for years uh, spinning, and I created this uh, thing called Spinema, which when you're spinning, you're watching. Uh, footage of inspiring videos and uh, you know it syncs with the music and uh, um, as people are doing that I uh, provide them with motivational uh, quotes so so I, I love doing that I do a lot of exercise nowadays I'm I'm not spinning nowadays I'm mostly lifting weights and, and jogging every <laughs> now and then but I four yeah, minute so record spinning. yeah yeah I guess in America they call it indoor cycling I'm an indoor cycling instructor and every now and then I have fun with stand-up. So I'll, uh, you know, go, yeah. Uh, and, and there I've bombed. I've failed miserably. It is, I think it's one of the hardest jobs in the world is to be a stand-up com comedian. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I do for fun. And, and that's not something that necessarily people know about me. I don't put it in my bio or whatever. <laughs> Well, listen, I think in today's world, we could all use a few laughs. And if you ever need a place to tell your jokes, we'd love to hear them. <laughs> so maybe our next episode that's will be <laughs> about some jokes. Um, Zev, thank that's you so much. That's definitely something to do on social <laughs> is to start your, you know, to start a post with a, something funny. With a joke. So, yeah. so last question. Um, yeah. Where... Where can we find you more about what you do if we are in need or would like to, you know, bring you sure. to speak? Um, again, given the circumstance through Zoom, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, but where can we find you? What's the best place to reach you? Well, I'll be in the mountains for a couple of years <laughs> right now. I'm isolating myself. So I don't think it's, it's going to be pretty hard to find me. But you can find me on uh, um my email uh, is uh, zeev, Z-E-E-V, at zeevbenshachar.com, and I'm sure that you can find that uh, on the podcast episode. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Zeev Ben Shahar, um, and also um, my website is very simple, A-W-E, meaning, awmeaning.com. Uh, so you can find me also uh, there. Fantastic. Zev? Reach out. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Jen. Okay.
Be well, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy at Octopost. For more incredible episodes, be sure to follow our channel, B2B Marketing Now, wherever you get your podcasts.